The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galena, and as usual, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Chu, for another exciting episode. How's it going there, Scott? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm keeping myself awake, and it's going to mm-hmm. work. My, I sent my son to school this week, which uh, which was great. He's he's loving it, and it actually worked. Like I was just terrified that he was never going to be able to wake up on time, and that I wouldn't be able to wake up on time, because <laughs> I, I don't normally choose to wake up that early, right. but- uh, but it's gone well, so every, everything else is falling into place. Once, Good. once that, once that worked, everything else just worked itself out. Awesome. Good to hear. Fifth grade, right? Your son's in fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. So Which a is picture of him on on Twitter. You could follow a Scott at if the chew fits. Handsome young man. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's at my old stomping ground. It's the same school I went to kindergarten, and there's like people that are like he he just thinks it's it's hilarious that there's people there that know him from me, but he looks just like me. So any of these people that might've remembered me are having just like that, like that flag go off in their brain. Like we've seen this kid, right? That's amazing <laughs> that it is. There's still some people like, you know, oh, teaching yeah. in the school or working in the school. Oh That's yeah. Awesome. They'll, be, and, they'll be there the whole time. Mm-hmm. That is great. That is great. Um, all right. So look, you know, like you said, you, you sent your kid off to school uh, in New York. I think that school starts here like right after Labor Day. But what does that mean? That means that uh, we're coming to the end of uh, baseball season. Scott, it gets dark here now, uh, just about 8 p.m. So, I mean, we have a month, just about a month left of the uh, baseball season. So uh, time to, to hit the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it It's one of those things where it's weird because normally when the end of the season comes, <clears throat> you just worry that there's not, you can't do enough. Right. But what the sort of the unique thing with fantasy baseball is that fantasy football comes in and takes everyone's attention away mm-hmm. for probably the most critical time of the season. Yes. So like, it's weird how much impact you can have uh, by just being, you know, a little more active than usual because a lot of your opponents are not. They're checked out either because they're no longer competing or football's taken over or all those things. So you'll hear a lot of us talk about it, but and it and it's completely true. I mean, you you can make some really interesting jumps in, even in competitive leagues simply because people have to focus their fantasy sports attention elsewhere mm-hmm. for even a little bit of time. Yeah. 
I'm I'm even a little guilty of that myself. Uh, I just told you I did a a fantasy football draft this past Saturday. Uh, I'm involved in uh, slow drafts with the pitcher list crew. Uh, It's, you know, it does. You really have to pay attention. And uh, before the end of the show, we're going to hit you with uh, uh, some guys that uh, you might want to you know, invest in uh, off the waiver wire or put on your watch list because there is still time. And uh, there's actually also, we'll talk a little bit uh, later as well. You could still find saves. You could find stolen bases now. I mean, and if you're close in a category, I mean, there's hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really the key is going to be something we talked about earlier in the season, but the, the real key, and I talk about this in the Reddit AMA, I talk about it whenever I can, is you can make a lot more interesting moves now because you know what the targets are. Mm-hmm. So I know one person on the Reddit AMA was asking if they should cut uh, Craig Kimbrell, right? And I could bring up reasons why you don't cut Craig Kimbrell because mm-hmm. he's still getting saves. As volatile as he's been in the ratios, he still gets saves. He still gets them fairly regularly. But this person pointed out that in their league, uh, they like on their roster, they still had like three or four other closers, right? These were big rosters, but he still got three or four other closers who are elite. And he's winning that category by like, uh, I think he said like 11 or some double digit number, mm-hmm. um, you know, hard, like <laughs> with only a month left and someone still having several closers, no one's going to outpace him. Correct. Like he can cut Craig Kimbrell and like, yeah, sure. Someone can pick him up and get more saves, but nobody's getting his points from the save category. Mm-hmm. He's got them locked down. So all who do you sudden, want to pick up in, in place? I mean, that's, you that's know, something. I, I don't even remember exactly who it was. It uh-huh. just became more of a, this is no longer a, you know, you can now think about this move. Mm-hmm. You don't need Craig Kimbrell anymore. And he may not be doing much for your bench because anyone that takes him is going to have to sacrifice ratios to get the saves. Right. And they're not right. going to catch you. They're not taking any points from you. Right. You've got your 12 points or whatever in Roto from saves. No one can touch you. Also, in head-to-head leagues, when you have injuries that affect your closers, you, like in head-to-head, that the whole idea of punting a category becomes much more viable, right? Because no one can take away the category wins you've already earned. Mm-hmm. So now you can just say, hey, look, what's available to me? What could I actually do? I know that one thing I do, especially in playoff matchups, is I look at my opposing, you know, my opponent, and I look at their roster to see if they even have closers and what matchups those closers have, right? Because then I'm like, well, I've you know I've got two closers and they've got three closers, right? But mine mine have way better matchups, so I can actually compete in this category. So I'll stick around, or I'll say like, wow, I've got four closers. They only have two, right? And maybe the one of those two closers is like a Craig Kimbrel, uh, Craig Kimbrel who's struggling or something like that. I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? I can afford to take one of these closers out, put in a starter, still probably win the category against this person, but, and also try to like, you know, shore up some other category, like general in general, you know, get more strikeouts or, or something like that, because I don't need the saves. So right. like, you can really tailor your strategies to your specific opponents, especially because there's going to be a lot of cases where you have to, right? Like it's, it's make or break it time. It's your fantasy playoffs or, you know, it's the last month of the season and you don't need to worry about every category anymore. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, in past couple of weeks, we had talked about how, let's say, if you're too far behind in the category, you know, don't go chasing it if there's no chance of you moving up in the category. And now we're taking a look at it from the opposite way where you're so 
uh, ahead in a specific category that you don't need the player anymore. So that's a very interesting uh, aspect that you brought up. And, and it's kind of, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm glad you brought that up too, because all, you can now look at it from both ways. And what's considered far ahead or far behind is a lot different now. Cause you, you can, it's a lot easier to conceptualize how much someone might catch up in a single month, right? You can even look at your own standings and say, how much did anyone get in any single month? What is a lot, right? How many saves is a lot for a month? And you can just say like, well, I can get those. For example, you might say, okay, a lot in this league is, you know, I'm making up a random number, but like 15 saves, right? That'd be a ton. Um, but I'm looking at my roster. I think I've already got those. Why? So mm-hmm. why do I need to even look at the wire for closers, right? I've already got right. a bunch of, I've got enough saves that no one's going to be able to take a big jump over me or really from both directions. Because again, you you now can tailor your strategies even more for your specific situation because your specific situation is a lot more clear from now to the end of the season than it was back in June. Trying to make sure, well, assuming I don't have injuries and assuming this guy does this, then I'll be okay. But now it's like, I already know how it all worked out, right? There's only one month left. Right. And uh, again, it's also ironic that uh, you brought up uh, the Dodgers closer situation and Canable uh, because I was on the way home from work. I was listening to uh, uh, Mad Dog on uh, Sirius XM and he had Bill Plunkett, uh, Dodgers beat writer. And uh, by the way, Dodgers in a really big series right now, uh, opening night against the the Mets, and this could be a preview of the NLCS, so it's very interesting. And one of the things that this guy, Bill Plunkett, did mention was that he doesn't think that Canable's going to be the Dodger closer for much longer. You know, and he uh, a couple of names he brought up, uh, Blake Trinan's going to be coming off the, the IL, and then he brought up uh, Gratterall, bruised our uh, Gr- uh, Gratterall. Uh, and uh, he even mentioned that uh, Dodgers might consider using Dustin May, uh, you know, uh, in in short uh, situations, high leverage situations. So it's kind of ironic that you brought that up. Yeah, and, and I mean, yet another reason why he why Kimbrel was more expendable. And they do have good options in the back of that pen. I mean, Evan Phillips has been good. You mentioned yeah. Ruster Gratterall; he's mm-hmm. been good. Uh, they are expecting Trinan back. Uh, Dustin May becomes very interesting, especially because, for example, Clayton Kershaw is expected to come off the IL on Thursday uh, on the first. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to move around in that bullpen and you need to be able to be flexible and following that. I'll tell you a great tool. It's it's not ours. I mean, we have a great tool called the reliever ranks, which gets published on pitcher list every day, Uh, every morning. uh, It's usually in the mid morning. It's reliever ranks and it let, it gets it gives you a look at the bullpens day by day and sort of, sort of you can really track these you, you can track what's going on because our writers are already doing that for you right like they'll tell you like oh hey you know Craig Kimbrell he did get a win yesterday I I can quickly tell that he did it was thirty two pitches to get that win and it's actually someone else who got the save which was Chris Martin mm-hmm. so you know they'll dive in and tell you how that's looking what you know they're following beat writers as well they're trying to figure that out. But on fan graphs, they also have the closer depth chart. Uh, it's part of their roster resource. The roster resource tools are amazing. Um, I love the closer depth chart, the lineup tracker, the probables grid. That's huge, telling you who's expected to start for the next several days. Schedule grid, so you can see what kind of opponents a team is going to be seeing over the next week. Like I usually use it to find out when Colorado is going to be back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Spoiler alert, not for a little while yet. <laughs> it's a long road trip they're on. But with that closer depth chart, it gives you a look of, okay, okay, who's the closer? Who are the setup guys? And how much have they pitched lately? 
right? <clears throat> like uh, I can now, I can look right now and I see quickly Devin Williams has pitched in three of the last four nights. There's absolutely no chance he pitches uh, today, mm-hmm. right? Well, today being the 30th, because he had pitched, you know, th- you know, three times in the previous four days. I can look at that really quick and say like, oh, okay, so this guy, you know, I can now look for someone, you know, in that particular bullpen, I'd say, okay, well, if Matt Bush or Taylor Rogers were on the wire, wire you know, on a particular day, Devin, I can see Devin Williams won't be available. Toss in Matt Bush or Taylor Rogers if you want to, you know, if you want to just mm-hmm. steal a save for a day. Yep. Right. You, you yep. can really look at those things. So yet again, you know, you're, you're looking at your opponent, you're looking at your own team, and you're also looking at like real, like real world impacts, like a, you know, a reliever that's pitched three times in four days, ain't pitching the next day. Right. 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 Um, Craig Kimbrell threw 32 pitches yesterday. He almost certainly doesn't pitch again tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, those those situations you can keep taking advantage of and it can help you make some of those really tough day-to-day lineup decisions as well. Yep. And I should mention, uh, as you did, we're recording this on August 30th. It's about 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, And I, I plan on talking a little closers a little later in the show, but since we started, you know, went this way <laughs> uh, or took this path, I'll just mention there are some saves to be had off the waiver wire. You know, if you're in a close battle in that category uh, for the A's, Danny Jimenez uh, season's over. He's on the 60 day IL uh, due to a right shoulder strain. And Zach Jackson just went on the IL as well. Uh, that happened uh, today. And so that to me, that leaves AJ Puck as pretty much your main source of uh, saves in Oakland. I know that they just recalled Austin Pruitt, who got a save last Sunday. But to me, I think it's A.J. Puck at this stage for the A's. Yeah, and Puck has been a guy who I've always really liked. I I really liked it when he was a a starting prospect because he's got really nasty stuff, but he just couldn't stay healthy and he didn't really have the command. Mm -hmm. Uh, Puck's been, you know, he's he's been obviously very good so far this season, 2.53 ERA, uh, 53.1 innings. He's given up some runs a little bit towards the end of August, but I mean, he's he's sort of the last man standing. Um, he's always been in, in part of the mix. And so he's definitely a guy who, you know, the A's don't win a lot of games. But you do know that when they do win games, they often need saves to go with them, right? Because yep. they, they're not beaten by a lot of teams. They're not beating a lot of teams by more than three runs, right? They're barely team, scoring three it's, runs. It's kind of surprising at how many saves they do have. I remember looking at it like a few weeks ago, and they were kind of high up the chart uh, in terms of, other teams in terms of number of saves. I was like, wow, this, this team stinks. How do they have so many saves? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, it, and it's, this is like one of the first times this season, or at least for quite a while that they have a single guy who's probably getting all the saves. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's definitely a big one. And you know, there's, there's a surprising number of closing situations in flux yeah. with it, despite the fact that it's August and going into September. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely keep an eye on on a lot of those. And you called out, you know, a couple in our notes here. AJ Puck was the big one. Yeah. Um. You know, Nick Martinez over in San Diego. He's got two saves in the last three days. Yeah. All of a sudden, it looks like uh, it's going to be him for a little while. And I, I think the uh, uh, Padres manager is it Brenly? Uh, I believe. Uh, seems like he's leaning towards him. And if you look at what he's done, uh, Nick Martinez last twelve games hasn't given up a run has uh, four saves, like you mentioned, just recently uh, had a couple as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, one thing that's tough is if you're rostering Josh Hader, uh, 
I hate to say to to cut him, right? I mean, he's giving up a ton of home runs. He's walking more guys. It's really all happened in mid June. Um, obviously, I, I don't I don't have any inside information, but it does line up a lot with uh, you know some of the information we know about about his personal life and his family. Um, they you know his wife had a had a complicated birth situation, mm-hmm. and you know I don't know if that's what's affecting him, but you know the numbers suggest it's something happening in mid mid June mm-hmm. where it all falls apart and. You know, in redraft leagues, you you don't need to hold on to this and wait, right? Because even if Josh Hader turns back to normal, um, I mean, that would need to happen like today, yeah, right. But more realistically, he probably doesn't get the savers, jo- you know, the the closers role for at least two weeks, right? How many saves can you actually expect from any one player in any one month, much less two to three weeks? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the most saves he gets for the rest of the season is probably two. Right. He might get two simply because this team is is trying to compete. He's not been able to to pitch with the type of command that you would expect from a player of his caliber. And uh, so, yeah, like there's just not many saves there. That's how you make that decision. Do you let him go? Yeah, sure. Because even in the right situation, he's not in line for more than two or three saves. And I bet you can get two or three saves other ways, for example, with AJ Puck without, yeah. you know, it's weird to say, but without the giant risk that Hader currently brings. Yeah. And it's kind of like last week we were saying, Hey, maybe you can hold on to him. But then I, I think he even came into a game, not in a safe situation, but uh, gave up a, a bunch of runs. Yeah. I gave up uh, six earned runs against the Royals on the 28th, which was, uh sunday right i mean so yeah <laughs> i mean it, it might be time to just cut ties with him and also good point on your part in terms of uh how many saves he could get rest of the way uh another guy we'll just mention then we'll move on from the uh, closer conversation is rafael montero for the astros now ryan presley back on the il has this uh, nagging neck issue suffering from neck spasms and this is the second time uh within the past several weeks so uh, montero has been filling in nicely for presley and on uh, days or nights where he's not available you could go to hector nearest or even hey will smith had a bunch of saves for the braves last year and uh i don't know if you recall they they traded for will smith uh at the trade deadline so astros are deep in their bullpen but uh, montero probably worth the flyer yeah, I also like a flyer real quick on on Jimmy Herget over for the Angels. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. He's uh he throws from like this really low arm slot. It's it's kind of weird. Um you don't see a ton of relievers who do this. I know the Giants had a guy uh that that they had that threw from these really low arm slots, uh Tyler Rogers. It, they're they're kind of fun, right? Uh but he's got the last two saves for the Angels. I, I think mm-hmm. that when you know his command looks really good right now. Uh, I like that he, he throws from this weird arm slot, which is which is really weird for hitters to adapt to late in a game because they only get one look at it, right? So it can be hard to adjust from like a guy who, you know, you're watching Shohei Otani throw over the top and do all this stuff. And then out of nowhere, Jimmy Hergert's like throwing it up towards your chin uh, from the ground, right? So so that's a guy who I think in, in deeper leagues, you probably don't want to be in a, you know, he's technically still in a committee, I'd say. But if you're in 12 teams uh, or you know, 12 teams or more and you're desperate for saves. That's another guy who's, who's yeah. been good lately. Yes. That, that is probably still out there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good call on your part. So, yeah. So, uh, we're going to move on 
And uh, let's see, why don't we take a quick break here and uh, we'll talk a little. J-Rod is, he's locked up with the uh, Mariners for a long time. We've got to go back to the Dodgers, talk a little bit about their starting pitching. Uh, Tony Gonsolin hitting the IL. Uh, talk some uh, bats that you could pick up off the IL and talk about uh, Corbin Carroll's debut on Monday night. We'll uh, talk about that right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show And we're back. Hacks and Jacks of Fantasy Baseball Podcast, Joe Galena and Scott Chu. So, Scott, uh, J-Rod, you know, so I was listening to an interview with the Mariners GM, I think his name, Nick DiPolo, I think his name is. And he was saying that if the Mariners uh, have a shot to keep Julio Rodriguez in a Mariners uniform till the 2037 season if they exercise all their options on this latest contract that j-rod has signed julio rodriguez yeah which again there's so many smart reasons to do this for both sides right um first of all if you're if you're julio rodriguez i mean we talked about this with with michael harris uh and the other times atlanta's done it you're you're buying years of arbitration and yes in theory the player could make more money going through the regular arbitration process but with the contracts, they get the money now. They get to be, you know, they get security. The team gets security because, as we've mentioned before, the arbitration process is really adversary, uh, yep. adversarial. And p- some players actually just end up hating their teams because they do. They put on this PowerPoint presentation of why they think the player sucks, right? Like that's what arbitration is. The team makes PowerPoint about why you shouldn't get paid because you suck. And uh, a lot of players don't love that experience. Right. So, so teams will like one way to avoid it is to sign them to this kind of contract, kind of contract. And look, the, the adjustments that Julio Rodriguez has made just here in his rookie season, um, have been phenomenal. Amazing. Yeah. And, and he, I mean, he's, they're locking him up for a good long time because it just makes a lot of sense to do that. Yeah. If you do one of your rolling chart uh, examples here. I mean, you take a look at his, his Woba has just consistently gone up uh, throughout the season, just as his strikeout rate has gone down. It's amazing. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that I really went after, uh, early in preseason. I, I, you know, drafted him like a couple of rounds before I should have, and I'm glad I did, but, um, uh, right now, uh, last numbers, 21 home runs, 23 stolen bases, uh, decent average, uh, 264, you know, 
if you could get a hold of him in a dynasty league, it's going to cost you, but um, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, when you look at rolling charts like his, I haven't seen rolling charts that are quite like that since uh, I don't. Know, it wasn't that long ago, but Fernando Tatis had something like this, right? Where mm. it just kept getting up and up and up and up. And that's not to try to insinuate anything because of the other news about him. But I will say that since going into, I mean, he's got a, you know, Julio Rodriguez has 275 plate appearances uh, as the primary, you know, sort of as a, well, actually it's less than that. He's got, let's see, uh, I think it's July 1st that it starts. He starts being the primary leadoff guy in like July for them. And he's hitting, you know, his batting average has gone down just a little bit of late, but still eight home runs, four stolen bases. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's, you know, he was getting caught for a little while. He had like this string where he got caught like two or three times in a row, but you know, then he stole back-to-back bases about a week, week and a half ago. Every time he runs into a problem, he overcomes it. Yeah. Right. Like that to me is the biggest thing you're looking for from a guy like Julio Rodriguez. It's okay. He has a rough patch for two weeks. What happens then, right? The guy just doesn't slump for that long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because he's making the adjustments every time. Yeah. Uh, the stri- and then the strikeout rate stays, you know, it doesn't stay perfect or pristine, but it's not, I don't think it ever goes back to that 30% over any meaningful sample, mm-hmm. right? Because he's he's figured that out. Even from the leadoff spot where he gets more plate appearances, he's got more pressure to hit with nobody on base. Uh, he just keeps figuring that stuff out. So it's just, it's amazing. And don't pay attention to like a month by month batting average and being like, oh, we got worse. This guy is showing us that his low points, his adjustment periods are still in, like are still startable for fantasy. And that's rare. We do not see a lot of players who are basically, especially young players who are startable even when they're in their adjustment periods. So when you get it, it's special. You lock it up for as long as you can, be it in real baseball or fantasy. Yep. Uh, go back to the Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin uh, joins Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller on the IL. Tony Gonsolin, man, 16-1 and one with a 2.1 ERA. Um, scary injury when you're just describing it, right forearm strain. Supposedly passed some uh, ligament tests, uh, but kind of strange that the Mets, uh, not the Mets, uh, the reason why I mentioned the Mets is because uh, – uh, the Mets are playing the Dodgers, and somebody just hit a home run for the Mets, and they're up three to, uh, they're down three to two right now. But anyway, um, kind of interesting that the Dodgers are opting not to have an MRI done on Gonsolin, uh, and it's almost like they don't, you know, no news is good news, right? It's like, uh, but like I said, past ligament tests, uh, Dodgers just keep on winning as we uh, head into Tuesday's action. Eighty nine wins on the season. Yeah, speaking of wins, I mean that's that's one of the main things that that Gonsolin's really been able to provide, right? He's got, I mean, his last five games, he's uh, only allowed a total of five earned runs, uh, and he's got five wins, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's impressive stuff. And and in fact, in three of those starts, he has six strikeouts or more, mm-hmm. right? So on one hand, I, I have heard a bit of narrative about Gonsolin where everyone's like, oh, look, he's outperforming his FIP and his ERA indicators by like a whole run. He's actually been doing that uh, for his entire, you know, albeit brief career. He's got 270 innings in, 2.49 ERA, two, uh, 3.48 FIP. And here's here's the thing about, I mean, this you can apply this to X stats. You can apply this, apply this to ERA indicators. It, I don't always care about the gap between the two, right? 
um, because that's not really how regression works anyway. What I do want to see is, okay, ERA is 210. Then let's look at, you know, X, XERA. Don't try to look at too much. The, uh, the X stats weren't designed for pitching. So while we can create things like XERA, they're not nearly as powerful of tools as they are for hitters, right? So X average is a lot more useful on the hitting side than the pitching side. But what I look at is, okay, so he's outperforming his FIP, which is 3.34 this season. He's outperforming it by more than a whole run. Mm-hmm. But even if he was at his FIP, that's a really good pitcher, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> so like you go like, okay, let's say he did regress. Then what? He's still good, right? Uh, you know, last season it was a little scarier, right? Because he had a 3.23 ERA and 55 innings and a 4.54 FIP. That would that would be rough, right? Like the the low side of that isn't good. But yeah, he keeps outperforming it by a whole run. There's reasons players can do that for an extended period of time. Um, I'm not sure if Gonsolin really can necessarily, but he's suppressing home runs. Um, the strikeout rate is down from last season, but overall it's still pretty good. Just about a batter an inning. Uh, when you combine this season and last season, and again, he's outperforming his his ERA indicators, but but Gonsolin's ERA indicators are still good mm-hmm. this season. So, like to me, that's it. Right now, they're saying that he's only going to miss two weeks. Right, right. That's definitely something worth saving on your wire, or yes. sorry, on your IL, on your roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, you'll have him on your IL, which is great. I mean, some of you are going to be in real tough spots with your IL spaces. With pitchers generally, once we once it starts looking like they're only going to get about three starts, that's when I start saying, okay, you're expendable, right? Uh, especially because I, uh, if I look at the calendar and see what kind of teams those might line up for, right? You know, count every five days, see what those look like. Um, it could get, you know, for some guys, it's going to be, oh, you have three starts left, you know, and you're an AL East pitchers and everything's against like the Yankees and, you know, everything's up against, you know, the Yankees. It's like, ah, no thanks. Right. Whereas I know that for the White Sox, uh, a lot of their a lot of their September action is in division. Right. And that means Tigers. That means Royals. That means, uh, you know, that means other offenses that just aren't very good. Right. So, you know, yeah, don't, be afraid, don't be afraid of the Yankees, by the way, with the way they've been playing. Yeah. Not, wow. Yeah. Not right now. Uh, <laughs> it's more like be afraid of St. Louis. Right. Mm, like as a yeah. team, they're hitting like three thirty. Yeah. <laughs> doing something silly. Tyler but, O'Neill is waking up. Yeah. Yeah, so all that, I mean, those things you're looking at. So right now, you know, I, I think, you know, if I take if I take Dave Roberts for the Dodgers at his word, where he says he thinks Gonsolin misses two starts, right? That's not great, right? Because that's gonna take you what? You know, fifty you know, he gets off the IL fifteen days from now. You're already looking at the middle of September. The moment yeah. it looks like he misses a third start, I'm probably cutting it. Mm-hmm. Because then I've only got two. I've got maybe two left. And think about the position that the Dodgers are in. They're so far ahead that they don't need to rush him. That they could just let him, uh, you, you know, rest until like the last week of September. Maybe let him get one start in, you know, before the playoffs. Because that's their goal is to win the World Series at this stage. I mean, that's a great point. We're we're seeing some of the same things happen in Houston. Right where they, you know, they moved Christian Javier to uh, a bullpen role for a little bit, just because they've got an embarrassment of riches and can afford to limit guys' innings. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Gonsolin has thrown a ton more innings this season than he did last season. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so last season he threw a total of like seven, yeah, like not even seventy-five innings. This year he's already at one hundred and twenty-eight point one. So Gonsolin has thrown all these extra innings. 
they're not going to have a lot of incentive to rush him back. Right. So, I mean, that's another great point. And it, mm-hmm. once again, it moves that needle just a little more to if someone else comes up and I think they're going to have more starts or have more impact than Gonsolin. Gonsolin is the one I cut off my IL because I also know that he can only help people that are still going to be in the hunt two to three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Right. And more people are going to drop off in that time. No longer be in the hunt because you're in head to head and they lose in the playoffs or because you're in Roto and they just, you know, they have a couple bad starts and lose their momentum. So mm-hmm. like he can't help other people that much. So at that point you can just say, all right, see ya. Similar situation with the Astros where Justin Verlander just hit the IL uh, due to a calf injury. So you're happy that it's not an, uh, uh, an arm injury right at this stage. But, you know, what's their incentive to rush him back? Although, you know, he's a warrior and he just wants to pitch, of course. But uh, look, you know, they're uh, basically, you know, just looking to win a World Series. There's no chance that they're not going to make the playoffs, you know? Yeah. So go ahead. If yeah. Houston, Houston's, a, a, you know, as I mentioned before, they're a good example because they also have several players that are bumping up against their innings count, like innings limits from last season, mm-hmm. right? And you, they have depth at, you know, they have some depth at starting pitching, especially for like regular season action, because who the heck cares, right? <laughs> like yeah. they, they aren't going to miss it. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them occasionally have guys skip turns in the rotation. Obviously they had originally moved Christian Javier to the bullpen. The injury to Verlander brought him back into the regular rotation, but Christian Javier, uh, Jose or Kitty, uh, Framber Valdez, they're guys that are coming up on their limits from last season. And so they might get turn skipped, although, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to project it too much. But if one of them were to go down, they're probably easy to cut for fantasy because the Astros have no incentive to rush anyone back. Right, right. Right. I mean, Uh, it's the same deal. It's the same deal with JV unless it ends up being a minimum stay. And then you probably mm -hmm. you probably want to hold on to that, Mm -hmm. Uh, that you've probably you may not have someone better than this on your IL. So like that's the other thing is you have to prioritize who's on your IL. But um, the one nice thing about JV is they're not going to, you know, they, they're going to make sure he's not hurt anymore, but they're not going to try to save his arm. Right. right? I mean, <laughs> this is this is why they went and got him. a brand him. new arm. <laughs> yeah. They, that's why this they went and got him for peanuts from the Detroit Tigers so mm-hmm. that they could throw, they could have him throw as many innings as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just keep an eye out on uh, one of their prospects who may be called up. Um, depending on how long JV is going to be on the IL. Hunter Brown, if you look at what this guy has done in the PCL, right? 9 and 4, 2.55 ERA, uh, 11.4 strikeout per nine. Walks a little higher than I like to see, 3.8 walks per nine with a 1.085 whip. So, hey, you know, if you could, you know, grab him uh, for a spot start, if he does get called up, just keep uh, his name in your back pocket. Yeah, he, he's. It's looking like he's going to be called up on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So definitely a guy I think that, especially in deeper leagues, you can go ahead and make that. If nothing else, you know, he's a guy who is performing well. And if he gets starts for the Astros, he's he's got a pretty good look at some wins. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's he's he's mostly a starter. He has had relief appearances this season as well. If he ends up in the bullpen, maybe the uh, the fantasy value takes a, a hit. Right, because the back end of that bullpen, I think, is already set. But if right. it, as long as he lines up for starts or might, I mean, he's worth a stash. Although, again, I would say in twelve-team leagues, ten-team leagues, your benches are kind of short. He might be more of a watch list guy if he's not going to be starting right away. Mm-hmm. But 
it's still something, you know, it's something I think that we should all be paying attention to. And as of right now, I don't think he's going to come up immediately into the rotation, but it's not as though this rotation is full of a bunch of durable guys, mm-hmm. right? So definitely someone to keep an eye on, watch list, whatever. Hunter Brown. Yep. Keep yep. the name. Um, all right. Let's uh, move on uh, to just a quick discussion on some droppable players. And then we'll talk about some uh, young players that have. Uh, opportunity to make some noise rest of the way. Uh, Jared Walsh, obviously droppable because the season's over, but shouldn't have been on active rosters anyway. If you look at what uh, he's had a miserable season, 215 batting average in 118 games with 15 home runs, 44 RBI. Comes out now that he's been dealing with uh, thoracic outlet syndrome is going to have surgery. So um, I'll just ask you real quick. Next year, you know, uh, Jared Walsh, you know, this is not like him. You know, you look at his previous season, 277 batting average, 29 home runs, uh, 293 batting average in 2020 with nine home runs and 26 RBI. Of course, 2020 was a shortened year due to COVID. But, uh, you know, do you think that he could be a, a draft day bargain next year based on how miserable his season was this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think something really important to note about that was one thing that was hard was just it, it you know, it was easy to see on like Statcast that he just wasn't hitting it as hard. But that's weird, right? Guys just don't like lose strength like mm-hmm. that, right? It, it was fairly dramatic. And so the the new when it did come out that he was dealing with thoracic, uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, which quite literally weakens people in their arms and shoulders, mm-hmm. right? Uh, elbows, arms, shoulders. Uh, we we've seen it more with pitchers. Uh, we, you know, we know that Noah Syndergaard, I think, was dealing with this for a bit. Matt Harvey was a big one who, after dealing with that, like never really got back to where he was. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be what happens to Jared Walsh. But I will say, he used to be a pitcher, by the way. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's really difficult to know what's going to happen. Cause again, if he's going to be a guy who I think spring training is going to tell us a lot mm-hmm. about where he should be, he's going to be really tough to value in early drafts. But I think as we see spring training and if he can hit some home runs in spring training and he looks like he's got that strength back, that'll be a huge deal. And it's one of the hardest things for us to see over an off season. We don't just know that a guy's strength is back because we don't have new stat cast data to play with. We just get the bad stuff he showed us already this season. So there will be a gamble there. But if he shows any kind of power in spring training, I think that could be a really nice uh, that could be a really nice scoop for a lot of people because mm-hmm. he is a lot. He is. He wasn't a fraud back in 2021. That that wasn't it wasn't just like accidental power. It's real power and it is a really good bat. And if he can get over uh, this, you know, this thoracic outlet syndrome thing, I think Jared Walsh is, is a really good first baseman for fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. Startable as a first baseman in 12 teamers. The only issue that I've always had with him was his uh, problem hitting lefty pitchers. And then this year, he stunk against both. It was kind of like equally bad. So we'll see what happens. But a uh, great point that we're just going to have to see how he looks in spring training. Any other guys that come across to you as just droppable at this point with a month left of the season? Uh, you know, I had put uh, Whit Merrifield, who's batting 216, 286, 275 since his trade from the Royals to the Blue Jays. And then maybe Javi Baez. I, I hate to, you know, bring up a, a Tiger. 
But if you look at what he's done so far this season, 225, 11 home runs, eight stolen bases in 112 games. And, you know, the, the line with Baez was always, all oh, those strikeouts are going to catch up to him. But funny thing is, he's striking out less than 25% of the time. Last season, uh, he struck out almost 34% of the time. So his strikeout rate is down, but he's just, uh, I, I don't know, I guess maybe the ballpark could be an issue with him. I mean, it, it, his general quality of contact is down, mm. which is rough because what you used, you, what you, sh- what I expected to see with Javi Baez is fewer hits, right? But they come in bunches because when he was locked in, he was sending the ball into the next county every time he hit it. And that's just mm-hmm. not happening right now. So on one hand, this like the drop in strikeout rates suggests that like the skill set isn't totally gone, right? But there's no power with it, and there's in in which case there's no point in holding on to it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's one thing if he had still been hitting like fourth or fifth for the A's. Right. But he's in Detroit now. You don't need to hold on to it. And, you know, between I mean, with Javi at this point, like even if he did get hot, what are you hoping to get from him? There's not been much he's shown you this season. That's all that special or hard to replace. There's several players who are sort of like that, who can be uh, in my in my mind, cut easily I, uh, from your own Yankees. Just to give it back to you. Glaber Torres is absolutely mm-hmm. a cut. Right, he showed some flashes earlier this season, and I think he's got to go. Over the last thirty days, his WRC plus is nineteen. That means he's eighty-one percent worse than an average player over the last thirty days. That's tied with another guy who I, quite frankly, despite the fact that he hit a home run uh, this week, uh, Ty France. Ty France is a player who doesn't have a lot of power to begin with. He is getting some RBI, and that's cool, but. Ty France's margin for error is so low because he really has to be hitting for average because of the limited power he brings to the table. He's not doing that either, a 143 batting average over the last 30 days. Even with the decent plate discipline, he's got to go. Um, obviously, I hope you've cut Miles Straw a long, long time ago. Sure. Uh, yeah. That bad slowly, I mean, it's broken. There's no sense in redraft waiting on Jeremy Pena anymore. I do think that there's a good player in there still. Uh, he looked like an all-star for about a month or so. But Jeremy Pena for the Astros, he can be cut. He just doesn't look like he's making the adjustment right now. Josh Naylor for the Guardians, he's got some stolen bases lately, and the play discipline's fine. But the batting average isn't that great, and he doesn't have a ton of power to begin with. So anything Josh Naylor could have given you uh, is probably replaceable on a week-to-week basis at this point, mm-hmm. right? Even though he's had a decent season. I mean, I can bring up a ton of other outfielders are, that are in this boat, right? Like, what's so special about uh, a Mike Yastrzemski, right? Um, decent player overall, but anything you're trying to get from him, you can get elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? And, and not go through the slump. Yoan Moncada for the White Sox. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, go ahead. Cut him, yeah. right? Name value. Him undraftable next year as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a li- there's a couple guys where it's a little tougher. You've been watching mm-hmm. DJ LeMahieu struggle for some time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, th- and that's really rough. Lords Guriel has been mm-hmm. struggling uh, for quite some time. No home yeah, runs. No stolen base in the last yeah. 30 days. Mm-hmm. Those are a little tougher in deep leagues, but in these 10 and 12 teamers, uh, I-, I think that you can definitely start thinking about that cut, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You can definitely start thinking about the cut of Lords Guriel Jr. Because even if he turns it on, what is he, Right a decent batting average and a bit of power that's all over the place. You can get it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, Luis Urias is a guy who I think is a cut, but I will say that the Milwaukee Brewers have a great schedule for the next week, week and a half, right. Including uh, in about a week from now, they'll be in Colorado. So if he hasn't turned it around in a week, he's gone, right. If he can't take advantage of this soft schedule, the Brewers are facing Urias is gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can start making these little like decisions with your 
with your players and just be like, you know what? I'm not waiting for this anymore. You're There's gone. nothing to wait for. There's a month left <laughs> <Yeah>. this season. <laughs> I mean, Alejandro Kirk is probably the one I, th- that's the hardest, right? Because of how good he was and the fact that he's a catcher. And again, he's got over the last 30 days, his OBP is 343, right? Pretty good. Mm-hmm. More walks than strikeouts for Alejandro Kirk in his last 99 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it comes with like no stats of any kind. It's totally empty. It's all just walks. He's hitting 229. There's no power. It's a 265 slug, right? So it's it's a slug that's almost 80 points below his OBP. That's really hard to do, right? Like that's that's almost more theoretical than it is anything else, right? Mm-hmm. So he is one guy. I think that you start of have to start saying like, oh, he's got to go. But I don't want people to think about this for like there's there's I've been saying names that maybe have like a flash this season. That make them hard to cut, but I'm, you know, with when you talk about guys like Dansby Swanson or Jordan Alvarez, who haven't been great for the last month, uh, you know, very average at best. Uh, but you don't, you never think about cutting those guys. You're stuck with them, you know, mm-hmm. for better or worse, right? Uh, Josh mean, Bell is probably to me the hardest one. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right in the middle. Yeah, he's been slumping since that trade. Yeah, he's he's yeah. right in the middle, and I'm hoping, you know, he has. He has shown a little bit more power of late, right? He's on a little hit streak right now. He's got an on-base streak going. It's not, it's still not great because it doesn't come with a ton of power, but he's hit a couple home runs, a couple doubles lately, so I'm willing to wait. But at some point, you know, you have to be thinking about what can I get from this player? And is it worth, you know, is that particular resource that they offer hard to get? Like power hitting outfield is easy to find. It's everywhere. Right, you can stream that all day long. Fran Mill Reyes, since he got traded to the Cubs, is batting like two ninety. I, I think he only has three home runs, but you know he's the kind of guy that could just go off and hit eight home runs rest of the season. And, and I was just looking at you know Jordan Alvarez. I didn't realize uh, you know how bad he's been over the past month. Two forty batting average and just one home run. But again, he you know, and I agree with you. Don't cut him because with these power hitters that have a pedigree that have done it before. You know, once they get hot, they're very streaky. You know, eight to ten home runs rest of season is very possible from a guy like Jordan Alvarez. I mean, that's that's the key. What's the potential? What can they do for you if if they turn it around right now? What does that look like rest of season? So that's why I say like Ty France turning it around rest of season is a decent player. I, first, there's no sign to suggest that he's going to do that. Um, but even if he did, right, he's actually not that hard to replace because he's mostly just a volume guy. Mm-hmm. Like so, Ty France. Uh, his margin for error was so thin because you needed him to get just tons of plate appearances for that average to really make a difference. And while you can still make big comebacks in ratios at this point in the season, um, him turning around just doesn't look like a whole lot of things on the stat sheet. Whereas Jordan Alvarez in two weeks can do what Ty France could do in a month. Yeah. Right. I mean, he could five home runs in two weeks for Jordan Alvarez is par for the course. We've seen him be the best hitter in baseball for full halves of a season. Mm-hmm. Right. We've seen that. That's real. So that's why you hold on to them. Where, whereas a guy like Josh Bell, who has issues hitting ground balls all the time, which really limits his power. He's still taking plenty of walks. So like in an OBP league, he's easier to hold on to. But at the same time, you know, what does, what does a Josh Hill breakout look like in a short period of time? And it's not, it's, it's not nearly as good as like a Jordan Alvarez, Right especially with him falling further and further in the batting order. So those are the tough decisions. But when you're trying to make them, you're, you should just be thinking, 
okay, it's it's the same concept as those injured pitchers. Okay, how much good could you do for me if you turned it around, uh, you know, in the next week or two, mm-hmm. right? What does that look like? There are guys who can be absolute game breakers in short times, and there's guys that just have a ton of value but aren't. DJ LeMahieu is really running up against that, right? He's not a game-breaking kind of guy over a two-week period. He's a guy, maybe with ratios, but nothing right. else is going to stun you like that. So yeah, if he, can hit, ratios, he can hit 400 over a two or three week period. And I'm yeah. shocked that when you, when you look at the last month that he's batting 190, it's, it's shocking, you know, uh, but I've seen it every day, unfortunately, as a Yankee fan. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, that's, you know, in terms of trying to teach you to fish, that's what you're trying to look at. Like, okay, if DJ LeMay, turns it around, I think he can really be an impact for my team in ratios. But he's not going to move the needle much on power. He's not going to move the needle much on like RBI. So, not a stolen base guy either. Yeah. So if I need those other things, if like my need for those other things outweighs what I need for ratios, I'm looking at the wire to see what kind of replacement I could make. Right? It's not an automatic cut. I say they're cuts, but like I mean, Glaber Torres, you can just cut. That's fine. <laughs> but but a lot you've, of the other guys had it in for Glaber for a while, but then yeah, I looked. He, well, it's not so much that I've had it in for him <laughs> yes, as much yeah. as he's just been bad. No, but he's he's been has been bad, <laughs> right? So another guy so, batting one ninety over the past month. Yeah, and you know, just to sort of uh, do a little fake transition here, it, it's sort of the the opposite of what you're thinking about with prospect call ups too, right? Like, so okay, if a prospect comes up, what can they give me for the next two to three weeks? Because I only have to think about that. I can look at their schedule. Evaluating two to three weeks is a lot different than saying rest of season. So I know I'm going to start getting questions like, oh, who do you like more, DJ LeMahieu or Corbin Carroll rest of season? Mm -hmm. My response actually is going to usually be, that's not the right question to ask me because you really only care about these next two to three weeks, right? You care about the next two to three weeks and you care about what your needs are. So it's no longer just a gimme, you know, there is no vacuum. I've been saying there's been no vacuum since like the beginning of the season, but there's especially no vacuum now. If you want to know like, oh, this player, that player, you should be asking a much more pointed question. Like which of these players can help me in the three categories I need help in? Sure. Right? And so that'll that'll change a lot of things because if you need speed versus, you know, DJ LeMahieu ain't going to give it to you. Corbin Carroll absolutely could. Right? Sure can. This is a 70 this is a 70 grade speed guy. He's got mm-hmm. a great hit tool. He's not going to necessarily wow you with home runs. We did just see him hit a double in his debut, but you know, he's not a guy that necessarily is going to hit a million home runs, but when it comes to hitting a bunch of doubles, uh when it comes to stealing bases, right? A power speed, you know, the power speed mix with decent plate discipline. He can absolutely do that, right? Mm-hmm. So he can't, he doesn't have the ratio upside of a DJ LeMahieu at all, but he does. And he has struck out a little bit more lately in AAA, but mm-hmm. there's, if you're, if you care less about the ratios and more about power speed counting stats that, I mean, that to me favors Carroll quite a bit. So that makes a decision. But if you care more about ratios or you need sure thing playing time, cause you're in like a points league, where you don't worry about hurting your ratios, you just care about is he like you know is there a potential to score points? It's a lot harder, right? Because Corbin Carroll is going to strike out more than DJ LeMahieu because everybody strikes out more than DJ LeMahieu, hmm. right? So those are the kinds of thoughts you need to be having when you're comparing players. Don't think about rest of season anymore. Think about your specific needs over the next short term future, two to three weeks. Yeah, uh, Corbin Carroll. When you look at what he's done so far this season. Uh, in the minor leagues, like you mentioned, uh, speed is his game. 31 stolen bases. Actually did hit 24 home runs, 22 doubles, and 8 triples in 93 games and could hit for average. But you're right. 
Um, strikeouts have gone up slightly. Steamer projects about a 27% K rate rest of the way. Um, so, yeah, uh, Corbin Carroll probably going to get his at-bats one way or another for the Diamondbacks, whether it's a DH uh, started right field on Monday night. Uh, um, and uh, th- so who is next? Who, who should we be waiting for? Uh, you know, I, I'm hearing maybe Gunnar Henderson uh, for the Orioles, second base, third baseman, and uh, which would probably affect one of your favorite players in baseball, Runyet Odor. Uh, I would think that Henderson, if he does get called up, and it's looking like he will within the you know next week or so. Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that he he wasn't called up uh, since our last podcast together. But uh, I, I'm thinking that he might play third base, and the uh, Orioles might move Ramon Urias to second base, and then just jettison uh, Runyon Odor to the bench, who's been batting 199 in his past 114 games, but. When you look at what Henderson is capable of, uh, another guy that has uh, decent power, 19 home runs and 111 games this season and 20 stolen bases and a, a good batting average. Yeah, so Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson are, are really the two you know biggest ticket items that are you know, we're going to see during this call-up season, I think. Uh, there's a couple other guys, too, of course, that we'll talk about, but... I remember comparing the two of them recently. And the thing about Gunnar Henderson is that he can play a lot of positions. He's not up yet. And the big question is when, you know, when he's up, I think he's got even safer playing time than Corbin Carroll, who I will say, I was surprised that he made his debut against a lefty because the Diamondbacks have this really weird roster crunch with respect to outfielders and DHs who are left-handed. It's like most of their roster. Right, like right now, they've been, they've been having um, Jake McCarthy play outfield in DH. He's left-handed. He's been really good, stealing a yeah. ton of bases, hitting yeah. like three hundred. Uh, Josh Rojas has been playing third base. He's left-handed. This whole this whole roster is like left-handed. Ale- you know, they've even got other young players that they can't just bench whenever they want uh, because they're trying to develop to give Carroll time. Because Dalton Varsho, he's been playing outfield in DH and catcher. He's left-handed. Alec Thomas, who's been up for a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. He's one of their high-level prospects. Uh, he's left-handed too, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like they're all left-handed. And then, of course, the other guy that's been a DH also plays second base. That's Cattell Marte, and he's a switch hitter, right? So, like, they're gonna have some weird situations when, whenever the the Diamondbacks play lefties, because they've got to figure out who's gonna sit, right? They actually sat on Monday, which is when they played a lefty, and that was when Corbin Carroll debuted. They actually sat Varsho and Thomas. Right. But other days it will be two other players who, you know, get sat down, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to want to bring in other guys who've shown potential, like Stone Garrett, uh, yeah. that they've got, right? Spoke out of nowhere. Shown, on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Who's out of nowhere shown that he, you know, he's someone they want to pay attention to. They have a lot of outfielders they want to give time to, and a bunch of them are left handed. So uh, I will say, if you're a Diamondbacks fan, it, it looks like there's some better things on the horizon. Uh, they've really been developing the last several years, especially on the offensive side. Um, and, and those guys are all starting to come up and are in their low to mid 20s. So yeah. it's cool stuff. But yeah, there's a weird roster crunch there. Whereas with Gunnar Henderson, um, he can play multiple positions in the infield. He can play a little bit of outfield too. And the Orioles have players that they've been starting that they don't need. Like you mentioned, like yeah, there's the organization has no need to get a more of a look at Rugnet Odor. They know what he is. Ramon right. Urias, they know what he is. Gunnar Henderson can take those spots. So once he's in, I think he plays just about every day because they have plenty of places to put him. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas with Corbin Carroll, the thing I've been hesitant about is if you're in a 10 or 12 team league, especially like a Yahoo style one where there's only three outfield spots, if Corbin Carroll's sitting once or twice a week, uh, that, that's already, that's making the fact that he was already risky as, you know, a rookie coming to the major leagues for the first time. We've seen them struggle out the gate, right? It's hard to make that adjustment. And if he's sitting a bit, like all of a sudden you're just not getting as many plate appearances as you hoped for. Of course, I do think he's worth an ad in most formats. Um, but I, you might not be the team that's able to do that because you might already be full at outfield, right? If mm-hmm. Corbin Carroll isn't all of a sudden a top 25 outfielder, top 30 outfielder. And if you've been lucky, you know, if you've been, you know, fortunate in the outfield, you don't need Corbin Carroll and you don't need the risk that he necessarily brings to the table. Um, whereas if you're thin at outfield, you probably do. So again, um, as much as I love Corbin Carroll, he's a guy who there are situations in 12 team leagues that you just can't take, you can't pick him up. Can't have every uh, brand new toy. Just doesn't yeah. make sense sometimes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard because you want to, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in that's in the Reddit AMA. There's been a couple of times where people have been like, Oh, what should I do with Corbin Carroll? I'm like, well, your outfield already is already stacked. I, I don't think you can call him up off your, you know, off your dynasty minor leagues or something like that, because you don't have anywhere to put him. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've had a couple standouts in the outfield, right? Yep. Whereas in most five outfield leagues, he's probably, he's as good a bet as anything to throw at the end of your outfield love him as a fourth or fifth outfielder because you were probably streaming those anyway. And if he ends up sitting too much, you'll just cut him and get someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Josh Young, a third baseman for the Rangers, was expected to start the season as the Rangers starting third baseman. Uh, Of course, if you remember, had surgery to repair a torn labrum in his left shoulder, Uh, currently rehabbing that shoulder, Uh, has played 23 games in the minor leagues. Doing well, nine home runs, 25 RBI, uh, 281 batting average. Um, and I think this guy, you know, is is someone that you should keep on your watch list. Uh, if you have a very deep bench and you need help at a corner infield spot, might not be such a bad idea to, uh, you know, pick him up. What I just love seeing what Josh Josh Young's doing in AAA mm-hmm. because it's everything he showed us that he was doing in double and AAA before yeah. he got injured. Yep. Right. I mean, he's been, in fact, if anything, he might be like, he's been in some ways better, right? Because he's striking out less. He's making more contact. He's not just trying to walk all the time. And he's the type of player who, when he puts the bat on the ball, does some real serious damage. Right. So I think what we're seeing is, is very real with him. I think if he came up, uh, he'd be, you know, he'd be a guy who could hit, you know, even even in his first month in major league action, I could see him hitting five to six home runs in a single month mm-hmm. uh, with with good ratios. That's a huge thing for these young players, these rookies. It's hard to hit. You know, a lot of times you'll see them hit some home runs, but have really low batting average because they're still adjusting to big major league breaking balls. Right, like those are really hard. I think for a lot of young players to adjust to. But with him, I think he could come up and just be an immediate impact. He was. There's a reason we were excited about him coming into this. You know, coming into. Uh, you know, coming into last year and really this year because he's just really good, right? Yep. He's shown everything he needs to show. So Josh Young, a guy should you spell be his name by the way, J U N G. In case you know, yeah. sometimes we're pronouncing it Young, and I believe we're pronouncing it correct. But I think so. You're too. not going to, you know, you're not going to find them by spelling Y O U N G. Yeah. No. So I mean, it's a really balanced prospect. He's not going to steal bases, but other than like that, fine, right? I don't care because how good he is with the bat. Uh, he's already got six home runs in 15 games in AAA, 
right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's wild, man. That's almost a home run every other game. He's ready. Uh, I, I think the range, you know, the Rangers could call him up at any time. It's hard to know exactly when they will, but he should be on your watch list and you should be looking at something like the roster resource uh, transaction tracker because they, if you look on there, it actually tells you when, you know, whenever there's been an announcement that a guy yeah. is going to be called up, you see it mm-hmm. there. Like they, it tells me right now. Um, it looks like, you know, Hunter Brown coming up on the first. Clayton Kershaw being activated on the first, right? Matthew Boyd activated on the first and Blake Trinan will be activated on the second mm-hmm. based on news that we have. So it helps you keep track of that right there. So the moment you see that in the morning, or if you're listening to the first pitch podcast, we use that very tool to help us. Uh, you know, it's one of the tools we use to try to put together who we think is going to be called up in the next day or two. We try to report on that. Um, the moment you hear that he might be coming up, he's worth a grab in a lot of formats. If you have any kind of bench space, cause he could be an impact player at third base. Yep. Um, and we'll try to go through these players a little, uh, fairly quickly, but, uh, Brewers have a couple of guys that, uh, well, Garrett Mitchell is actually in the, uh, major leagues right now, uh, playing some center field for them uh, has occasional power and some stolen bases, 34 stolen bases in 132 games, uh, minor league games. Uh, but the Brewers also have a Sal Frelick who uh, they also have an opportunity of calling up, not in the major leagues yet, but uh, he's more of a high average hitter compared to Garrett Mitchell. Um, doesn't seem to have as much power, but also can steal some bases as well. So uh, keep those guys on your uh, watch list as well. Uh, Lars Newport, I think you were talking about him last year, uh, last week, right? Uh, when you were doing your hitter list. I was just looking at what this guy has done at the top of the Cardinals lineup there, Scott. Uh, when you look his last 15 games, 283 batting average, okay, but 17 runs scored in those last 15 games, you talked about the Cardinals being hot uh, and he has really benefited from it. And runs is a, is a category I've always had problems uh, filling. Yeah. Well, it helps when, you know, the two top MVP candidates for the national league are your three and four hitters, right? (laughs) With Goldie and Arenado. I mean, they've been fantastic. We've seen Tyler O'Neill absolutely turn it on. He, he's this guy who I've been so hesitant to to drop or cut all over the place because when he's when he's hot, he is also top ten hitter in baseball, right? Just not a lot of players have that upside even when they're hot. But we've seen, I mean, Tommy Edmonds hitting well, Brendan Donovan's hitting well, but Lars Newtbar is the one that's been the most interesting to me because he this is not a guy that we thought was any kind of prospect, right? But what he's done, particularly like like don't look at the overall season line because that's almost that's almost misleading. It's not really telling you what I think is the most important information. And that's that in the month of August, right? Uh, he's got 114 plate appearances uh, coming into uh, coming into Tuesday's action. And he's got an 18.4% walk rate. And then Newt Barr's only striking out 14.9% of the time. Considerably more walks than strikeouts for, for Newt Barr. And, and it comes with some power. Right. So something I like to see from these guys who walk all the time is I look at the OBP. It's 421. When I see the slugging, I know it's going to be high, like at least like 450 for a lot of these guys. But I want to see like I love seeing at least a 100 point gap because that means you're actually hitting for power and your slugging isn't being driven by singles and walks. Right. So with that slugging, it's a 544 slugging this month because, you know, he's hitting home runs and doubles. Right. He's got a Mm -hmm. bunch of them, especially, you know, even just in the last few weeks, it's been even better. 
right? Since like August 18th, he's hitting 313 with a 441 OBP, four home runs in that time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a guy who I think, at first I thought this is just a streaming outfielder, but with Newt Bar, if he continues to show this kind of approach, this is someone who could continue to be a leadoff guy for a Cardinals team that just always seems to be in contention. Right. Right. And if he can do that, he's left-handed, so he's got a platoon advantage over most of the players that he would be splitting time with. I know they wanted Dylan Carlson to be their leadoff guy. It just hasn't worked out. Uh, Lars Newbar is not old, right? He's only 24 years old. Mm-hmm. He, he's a guy who I think could start being something like a 20 home run hitter, you know, 15 to 20 home runs at, you know, around that, but really put in like good batting average and OBP with this kind of plate discipline. Right. Yep. Even if it settles, even if it just, you know, gets a little bit worse, this could be a guy who all of a sudden is a real contributor for runs scored, a real contributor for some decent power. He's like, I mean, it'll be very good Ty France esque, I think. Uh, that That's sort of the player I'm sort of seeing here, but with less contact and more walks. Yep. Um, real quick, TJ Friedel, F R I E D L, outfielder for the Reds. Past couple weeks, uh, spanning 13 games, batting 378 uh, with a 442 OBP and a 784 OPS. Three home runs, 10 RBI, and one stolen base. Uh, obviously, you know, it, the Great American Ballpark, uh, like Coors Field, you know, you, you want a piece of that offense if you can. And Friedel so far uh, contributing. And uh, like I said, having a pretty good couple weeks. Yeah, a couple really useful pieces in that offense that I think that you could consider, especially if you're trying to stream, because the the next the next couple of series for for these Reds are pretty good, right? So they're they're against the Cardinals right now, uh, but starting Friday they're going to have a weekend series against the back end of the Rockies rotation. Uh, I'm sorry, it's actually the front end of the Rockies rotation, I think, because Herman Marquez is in it. But <clears throat> they're getting some really nice pitching matchups. They're going to be at home against these Rockies pitchers, right, who don't pitch well in um, in hitting environments like like Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So guys like TJ Friedel, guys like Donovan Solano, who's been their DH batting fourth every day. If you want to stream some RBI, he's a guy that can do it. Yeah. Right? He's been hitting a ton of doubles. Jake Fraley, another player I really like. Uh, he's slowed down just a little bit over the last week, but he's left-handed. He bats first and second all the time. Uh, he's you know, And he's got power and speed. And OBP. That's another player I like there. Jonathan India starting to turn things around a little bit again after slumping for quite some time. Uh, I'm all over this team for that weekend series because, and then after that, they'll have Monday off and then they go to the Cubs and take on, yeah, they'll face like they'll face Marcus Stroman, but they're also getting some, some lesser Cubs pitching. And that's something to take advantage of. I'm looking mm-hmm. at schedules all the time right now because I want to see who I can add for not like either just for one good series or for a few, right? Right. And Colorado and then Chicago, absolutely. I'm not afraid of those pitching staffs. And there are pieces in them. Like this lineup has been a bit hot, especially towards the top. And so there's guys to pick up there, right? Like I'm not interested in the Colin Morans and Jose Barreros of the world, although Barrero has some underlying skills that might be, you know, interesting in dy- like deep dynasty. But yeah, India, Fraley, Kyle Farmer hasn't been that bad, right? If you're just right. trying to get some at-bats and some RBI, he hits third on a team that's going to be at home against bad pitching. That's how you get RBI, right? That's how you stream RBI or run scored. Right, right. Put top part of the order against a bad team, especially when that – and you're the Reds at home, right? It, it's everything you want for a stream. 
All right, let's finish off the show by uh, talking about a couple of players, or actually two or three uh, players, where uh, still available on the waiver wire and could actually give you a few stolen bases. Many more go. Outfielder for the Rays, 19% rostered in Yahoo. Uh, occasional power, 20 stolen base type of speed. Uh, like I said, 19% owned, cheap steals. Could hit for average, too. Yeah, and with Margot, I mean, he's a guy who durability is a massive question mark, mm-hmm, yeah. right? I mean, he's just not a guy that's been able to to be healthy for any extended period of time. But he is someone who, that when he is healthy, the Rays want him in the lineup. They want him running. He's he's a heck of a defensive outfielder as well. So he's going to play for a team that has a lot of guys that don't necessarily play a lot, and they're going to let him run. Uh, because the Rays are not a major hitting offense. They they need to let players run if they want to keep up, especially in their own division. Yep. And the reason why he's not widely owned, too, is because he was on the IL for a while. So uh, yeah, people kind of forgot about him. But last eight games, batting 300 uh, with uh, five RBI. And uh, like I said, always a threat to run. So uh, another couple of guys that are cheap steal options. Bubba Thompson, outfielder for the Rangers. Uh, only rostered 3% in Yahoo uh, over the past two weeks. That's 11 games, five stolen bases, six runs, and a 290 batting average. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a one-trick pony, really, for fantasy right now. I, I don't really trust a lot of the other skills to to come through for any, any meaningful amount of time. However, uh, when we're talking about stolen bases, he's a guy who can, I mean, that's one of the reasons he was interesting at all when he came up for any fantasy purposes, right? Yeah, yeah. He can run. The guy yeah. can run. So that is definitely someone, especially uh, in very specific streaming targets. Uh, so speed streaming can sometimes be a little harder to conceptualize, but it's really just matchup base. You'll find that there are teams that just allow a lot more stolen bases than than others, mm-hmm. right? So um, I know the White Sox are a team that you can generally take advantage of. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're almost always towards the top. The Reds are a team that can be run on quite a bit. The Angels, the Rockies, uh, those teams get run on a lot. So when you ha- when you see those matchups, right? So when you see Bubba Thompson and the, uh, sorry, with the Rangers, when you see Bubba Thompson and the Rangers and they've got the Angels coming up, right? That's where you jump in. You're like, oh, I'm in, right? Because the Angels allow a ton of stolen bases. Mm-hmm. And that's how teams take advantage of them, right? Shohei yep. Otani specifically, they'll go after him for stolen bases. Yep. Uh, or they also have Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard famously is bad at stopping the run, yes, mm-hmm. which is not something he does very well. So uh, when when you see players with those, you know, Bubba Thompson against Noah Syndergaard is a great TFS play. It's a great fantasy play because there's, it's hard to find better matchups for a stolen base. Or when you see John Birdie as a classic example, uh, he we used to start him against the Mets because it'd be Noah Syndergaard and like Wilson Ramos as a battery. So John Birdie would steal four bases in a game. Right. Mm-hmm. Teams are very at like teams are really looking for very specific moments to send guys. And for Bubba Thompson, it's going to be, uh, you know, whenever we can expect the Rangers to play the angels again, we know they're going to jump right on top of it. Yep. Uh, same for, I mean, Jake McCarthy, he's, he's been for the diamondbacks. He's been fantastic. Uh, and he's going to get to play against the Rockies a few times. And the Rockies bad at stopping runners. Right. And quite frankly, the, the paths to victory for the Arizona Diamondbacks usually require some manufactured runs, right? So Corbin Carroll, Jake McCarthy, Josh Rojas, they're all going to run. 
because that team is bad as they are. It doesn't mean they're not trying to win games, mm-hmm. right? So run, help these guys get better timing like so that you can run when it does matter. Yep. Uh, and then on the other hand, there's certain teams you really want to avoid. The Cardinals, you know, don't Yadier Molina isn't what he used to be, but that team still really stops the run game, right? The Royals are really good at stopping the run game. Is he even still uh, on the team? Didn't he like leave for personal reasons? Or something? Yeah, oh, he, he left because <laughs> his basketball team was in the playoffs, which is just like the greatest flex ever. Uh, but but he's back. And, and again, that team really shuts down the run. The uh, the Orioles, the Royals, Phillies, mm-hmm. Dodgers, they're good at shutting down these run games. Mm-hmm. So you want to, even the Tigers are good at shutting that down. You don't want to go against them. Really just target. It's a simple thing. Go to a fan graphs or whatever your site of choice, go to the leaderboard and just see what teams have allowed the most stolen bases. Uh, and also what teams get run on the most. So you can combine the stolen bases and caught ceiling because teams run when they think it'll succeed, mm-hmm. right? They don't just run randomly. So, you know, when the Angels have allowed 87 stolen bases and only stopped 18, you're absolutely, I mean, that's a real good sign, yes. right? And yeah. it's its not hard to find the haves and the have-nots because it, there's a real pretty hard break about halfway down the list. Like the top 13 or so teams are, are pretty easy to target for stolen bases. And then below that, it's basically don't bother because the success rate is one in three or worse. Right, right. All right. All right, so... um that basically slams the lid on things uh, for this episode. Uh, what are you going to be doing now? Working on that hitter list? Any any uh, tips or uh, that you could share? I mean, I'll tell you that I'm really excited that um, I wanted to move Mike Trout even higher. Mm. But he'll be uh, he is the sort of cover athlete of the hitter list this week. He's at 15 because Mike Trout looks like Mike Trout. Whenever yeah. Mike Trout looks like Mike Trout, um, he's <laughs> fantastic. And I hope. That you lit, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard because so, I don't want to hurt my shoulder or anything. But that's why you hear those, you know, you hear those big reports where they're like, oh, this, this is a, a lasting thing he's going to have to deal with. Mike Trout was not worried about this injury. Hmm. Mike Trout is, you know, is a guy who has, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on knowing his body and knowing what he can manage and what he can, right? He said, I'm going to be fine. And then he came back and just didn't stop hitting home runs. Right. Right. He's got four home runs, I think, in his last six games because he's Mike Trout and he knows. Right. He, he's, he's got back. almost as many home runs as uh, Pujols. Yeah. He's he's doing I mean, he's doing amazing things and we don't always talk about it because he's Mike Trout. And yeah, he's been a little more aggressive, not walking quite as much since he came back. But I don't care because when he's when I've seen what I've watched from him in the box is Mike Trout. So throw him in and don't overreact to some of these injuries that you hear about yeah he missed about a month but like for all the people that overreacted and said oh well this is a permanent thing and so he's always going to stink like no he he figured out the issue you know that that's going to be though the 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 story when it comes to next year and drafting trout you know i mean there are a lot of people that were off of him uh you know this preseason in, in drafts and you know that that's going to be again that's going to happen again and they're going to you know bring up the uh injuries over the past few years and a very real concern to have in terms of season long right the one thing that we know for sure is true about mike trout though is that when he plays he's phenomenal mm-hmm. right he's got 368 plate appearances this year uh and it's 28 home runs 58 rbi 274, 367, 604, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's he's so he's still so good, right? That's like 
I'm saying 28 home runs. I really want to make sure this comes through. He's only played 89 games. He has 28 <laughs> home runs. Like that's Aaron Judge power. That's pretty good. That's what, yeah. that's what that looks like. 89 games. That's like just over half a season, 28 home runs, right? Like I'm not saying to extrapolate that. I'm just saying at least, at least, you know, especially in leagues that have deep ILs, right? Where you can put a bunch of guys in the IL. Mm-hmm. Mike Trout is the premier IL spot. Cause every time he comes back to play, He's the best. He's Mike Trout still. Yeah. Picks up right where he left off. Incredible. I mean, just incredible for a guy who's, let's be clear, isn't that old yet, right? The Millville Meteor is only 31. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's just my favorite nickname. And it's just a shame, too, that, you know, when you look at how much of he lost with 2020, you know, he, he lost out on a 35, 40 home run season. And, you know, these injuries uh, are, you know, starting to creep in. But like you said, still, still performing because he's a guy that, you know, you, you, you pen in for 700 home runs by the end of his career, you know, but how many does he have now? He's only at 338 now. Okay. uh, So maybe injuries, injuries and, and, obviously just COVID itself yeah. have taken away games from the last three seasons, but there's still plenty of juice left in the orange here. For, All right. So for we'll talk Trout. maybe, you know, 550 to 600 home runs, maybe 700 is a little bit uh, too ambitious. Yeah, but, my point. I mean, we've probably still got, I mean, if Al- Albert Pujols is still a meaningful power hitter at this stage in his career. Now yeah. with Pujols, I mean, I, I talked about it on, on Twitter too. I mean, he was really taking advantage of very specific situations, right? Like bad left-handed pitching, and he was pulling fly balls against him, right? That was a secret sauce to hit a bunch of home runs, right? Like six of his, yeah, at one point, six of his seven home, of his, like six, six of the seven home runs he hit in this like surge were off lefties with bad home run rates, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because that's just what he was doing. But Mike Trout's going to be around for a good long time, right? He oh, signed yeah. through 2030. Yep. Right? Like yep. he's locked in. He's going to play. Right. And while last the- year, last year only had eight home runs because he only played 36 games due to injury. And in 2020, only played 53 games at 17 home runs. But you're right. He's going to be around for a while. So look, for at least another seven years, we'll say, you know, on average, 30 home runs. And that might even be undercutting a little bit. So seven he hits a home three. run every four games or yeah. more or like mm-hmm. or less. Yeah. So if you project him for 100 games, you can, st- I mean, a hundred games, you can still project him for 30 home runs for God's sake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's yeah. been on that pace or better since, you know, even through 2020, he's been on that pace. Yeah. Like as a 40 <laughs> home run, 162 game average for his career. Yeah. yeah he's, mm-hmm. he, so he, that's the other reason he's hard to deal with because with Mike Trout, again, you don't know how much time he'll be on the IL. You just know that when you take him off the IL, you get to plug him right in. Yeah. And don't worry about these strikeouts. I mean, I don't really care about his strikeout rate. Yeah, oh, it's higher than it was before. I don't care, right? Because the performance is all still there. I, I don't really, like, no matter how Mike Trout does it, he gets to the end point you're looking for. Yep. He hits home runs once. It's really probably more accurate to say once every three games, uh, just about. He hits a home run. So, I mean, I don't care that he strikes out a little more. If he has to be a little more aggressive, fine. Because he still has, like, he's striking out more than ever, right? In terms of full season number, 29.3%, uh, 28.1% last year. But with Mike Trout, the OBP last season, 466, right? He, I don't care he, about your 28% strikeout rate. But he doesn't steal bases anymore. Uh, yeah, that's a tragedy. 
All right. All right. So we've we've been talking for almost like an hour and 20 minutes, buddy. I, yeah. I mean, we always say it's going to be short, but yeah, yeah. at least at least we don't at least we don't do the classic like this is going to run long. We've just abandoned <laughs> any thought of how long an episode's going to be. Like we we sort of say maybe it'll be short at the beginning and just yeah, let it go. Exactly. Well, Good talking to you. Great stuff. Looking forward to seeing the uh, next hitter list. And uh, don't forget to follow me at Joglina. Follow that guy. His name is Scott Chu. And his Twitter handle is at if the Chew fits. Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. Subscribe to Hacks and Jacks, the podcast. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. 